Mic check, my mic check. Can they hear us? Good. Welcome to Combo's Court Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. What up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 346 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Today's show is another NBA draft-centric episode of Combo's Court. Stephen Gillespie of Draft Capital joins in to discuss the NBA outlook of Ben Matherin, Dyson Daniels, Julian Champagny, and more. Just a fantastic conversation with Stephen. You could catch Stephen on Twitter at Stephen G Hoops. You know, you could catch me on Instagram at 12combo. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Draft Capital on Dash Radio. Welcome to Combos Court. How you feeling today, man? Man, Andrew, I'm doing awesome. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. It's the first time I get a chance to work with you. So hopefully I do well enough to where it won't be the last. Uh, you know, I'm just enjoying my day, brother. How are you holding up? I'm doing well. I'm sure it won't be the last. I'm sure it won't be the last, Stephen. Um, so, okay, so let's start with the top three or four of this draft because some people call it a top three. Some people call it a top four with Jaden Ivey involved calling it would you say it's a top three a top four and who are you highest on out of that three or four so right now I have a four-man race like I have um I have my big board obviously um labeled numerically but I also have tiers and in my first tier I have you know the Chet Holmgren Jabari Smith um you know Paolo Boncaro and also have Jay Nivey um out of that top four though I have Jabari Smith um number one right now uh, he, he's my number one prospect and has been for quite a while now. Why so? I mean, I think the listeners of my show know I would have Chet at number one, probably because of the ceiling. Do you believe Chet has the highest ceiling like me? And why do you feel Jabari is number one on your list or mock draft or big board or whatever you want to say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think it's fair for you to have Chet first off, Andrew. I don't think that anyone that has Chet Holmgren number one is crazy, right? So um, again, they're all in the same tier to me. I think it team fits going to be a big part in that as well, but I can't put Chet number one right now until I see him face off against, um, you know, some more predominant front courts in the NCAA tournament. There's been a big jump in his statistical profile over the past couple of months, whenever it shifted to WCC play. And I'm not trying to discredit that conference as a whole. It's a very talented conference, but the height of the front court that Chet is going up against is a, is not as big as um, a lot of the other conferences. So you can call me a chicken if you want. I just, um, I'm holding my breath a little bit on Chet until I see him in the tournament. When it's all said and done and the dust is settled though, Andrew, he, he very well could be number one. But at the same time, I mean, Jabari Smith is, he's shooting the lights out, you know, of every court that he's on right now. He defends every position that, switches, that he switches on to really well. So I, I'm a big believer in his jump shot and his defensive ability. I think that he can improve his handle a little bit. 
Um, you know, I've seen him live and I, I watch his, you know, his warmups and things like that. He gives me, you know, Kevin Garnett, Giannis Antetokounmpo vibes when in terms of a tan intangible is not necessarily the skill set, but just to drive the focus and the effort to to want to be the best on the court. Uh, I, that's something I typically don't tend to bet against and not saying that Chet also doesn't have drive effort and energy. I'm just, I'm going with the guy that I've seen in person so far right now. I got Jabari Smith. Number one. It's great. You mentioned the tournament. So that's a great segue out of those top three or four. I'm not sure if it's Chet because you kind of want to see um, you said personally, you want to see how Chet plays outside of the WCC conference. So would it be Chet out of those guys that needs to prove the most in this tournament? And even outside of those four guys, who do you believe can break out in this NCAA tournament? So I would say the two aforementioned guys that I mentioned, Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren, I don't think that those are the two that have the most to prove. I would actually probably say Paulo Boncaro mm. because he entered the season with, you know, number one conversation, hopes and, and, and potential things like that. And now there's questions in a lot of draft circles saying, is he even the, the best NBA prospect on his team? There are people that believe that A.J. Griffin um, is the better player. Me personally, I don't think so. But the, I've, I've been hearing that, you know, by, you know, pretty reputable, uh, you know, draft analysts. But I think Paulo Boncaro needs to take this, you know, this tournament by storm because there's a lot of places that have him listed fourth or fifth on their big boards. And I don't think that's what the expectation was coming in. One guy that I think is going to take this tournament by storm and he kind of falls victim to the conference that he plays in would probably be uh, Benedict Matherin out of Arizona mm. because he he's the type of guy, Andrew, I don't know if you would agree with me on this, but a lot of people are just like, yeah, he's like in the seven to 10 range, but let's not talk about him anymore. Let's move on away from the conversation with Benedict Matherin. And I think because he plays in the Pac-12, you know, people aren't staying up you know, unless they're on that West Coast uh, to, to watch him play. But I think that he slept on a lot. You know, he had that 10-day hiatus where Arizona wasn't playing basketball, and that's when Jonathan Davis kind of took off and, and captivated, you know, the, the country and, and the world by, by storm. I think Benedict Matherin, you know, when he's on primetime television and Arizona continues to advance because it's a really good team, I think Benedict Matherin could stand to benefit from a really good playoff run. You mentioned Johnny Davis and Matherin. I would say what separates Matherin, not saying he's the better prospect, but what separates him is that athleticism. He's, it looks like he's coming out of like a rocket launcher sometimes when, he, <laughs> when he's exploded to the rim, right? I mean, so he could score in a lot of different ways. As I just said, he's a crazy athlete. How would you approach him if you were an NBA GM or a coach would you like him to double down on kind of like his complementary skills or would you like to see him add some more isolation game and to like maybe take him to that star level? Or do you think he should just double down on being maybe like a three and D guy who's athletic? Because, I mean, his defense isn't great yet, but obviously he has the tools to be great at it. So where do you see that path going for him? You know, it's really weird because early on in the season in a mock draft that I did with um, some buddies of mine, I actually took him fifth to the Orlando Magic. And I just think, I think that he's got the skill set, like as you mentioned, Andrew, to be a really good 3 and D prospect. That defense is, is underrated. There's times where he'll protect the rim as like a weak side help defender as a 6'5 you know, to 6'7 guard, whoever is measuring him that day. And he'll climb a ladder and reject a shot. I, the defense is there. And I think you know the one thing that people criticize him a little bit for, and, and rightfully so if you're not watching enough of his games, is that, that on-ball creation ability. That's not really what's asked of him at Arizona. You know, Dalen Terry 
is kind of that that point forward for that team. And Kirk Creasa does a lot of playmaking as well. But I've seen several games where, you know, two to four possessions he'll create for himself and others. And I think that that's something that if you go back and watch some of these Arizona games, you got to really follow him on the court. You know, don't just follow the basketball, but follow him. I think that he does have that creation ability. Not only that, if you see him play for Canada, like he shows some of those like double hardened like step backs that you're not really seeing at Arizona, right? Correct. Yeah, I agree with you. So I think that he's got the bag. I just think that he needs to get in an NBA system. And I think a coach, I think he's automatically going to be one of these guys, Andrew, that he should have been drafted higher. Like I just have that in my head about him. Guys like him and, and, and Tori Eason as well. Those are two guys that I already know should be drafted higher than wherever they're going to go because of what they bring on a nightly basis. So it seems like to me, and you could correct me if you feel I'm wrong, that the G League Ignite is probably not getting as much exposure maybe as they were last year. Maybe it probably part of it is because uh, they felt there was like some higher end stars on that team. I know people are a little bit lower on Jaden Hardy than they were. I, I'm still really high on him just from his skill set. Me too. But I, but I did want to focus on um, Dyson Daniels, an international prospect. I mean, his he's NBA-ready defender, in my opinion, which we're seeing more and more young players become um, NBA-ready defenders as rookies, and he has such great poise on the offensive side. Um, a swing skill for him, as it is for so many prospects, is obviously the shooting, but what are your mm -hmm. thoughts on his game and how will his game translate to the NBA level? You know, I like Dyson a lot, and to your point, to the G League. I think that they're as you know, last season was their inaugural season. This is the second year, and they did something cool at the NBA All-Star break where they let those teams, they're those guys compete in the Rising Stars uh, competition and the skills competition as well. I thought that was really unique. And Daniels really looked comfortable in that format too, you yep. know, playing alongside some of the younger pros. I like him a lot. I don't like him as much as some people. There's some people that have him like 10 to 12. I have him a little bit lower. Just today it could change, but I have him around 18 um, with – as a guard, as a, as a creator for others, you're going to have to be able to shoot. That defense looks like it's there. He, he can pass the ball very well. You know, he's one of these Australian players. And what we've been seeing as, as you know, years have gone on, these Australian players are very good shot creators. And to be honest, the floor spacing on that G League Ignite team isn't really anything to, to write home about. I think that's what's affecting Hardy a lot personally is the floor spacing on that team but I like Daniels I think that he could be one of these guys to be drafted late in the lottery early in the first round to a winning organization and they they'll have like a pre-made role for him where he just comes in um, be a connector on whatever team he's on and Andrew you're right if he if he can improve that three-point shooting he could be one of these guys that should have been taken earlier than than he ultimately probably will be I think he's one of those guys that has like a, a big variance with the draft range because I think if you're like a ceiling guy you might not have him as high but if you're like a floor guy like he looks like he's going to be a steady player right off the bat which shot would you say that you land on because I, I mean I do like Dyson but I feel like I'm more of a ceiling guy and that's why I mentioned I like Chet like where do you land on that and do you believe that's probably part of the why part of the reason why he has a high variance when it comes to his range I think you're you're right with him. I think the the preconceived notion with him is that he's going to be a safe prospect, right? Like yeah, he's yeah. going to be a connective tissue type player. But who knows, man? Like if he has a three point shot and like a really good pull up game, I mean, who knows what he can do with that defense? Most definitely. So where do you land on Keegan Murray? He started out the season great. Um, he's that four man. But my real question to you actually is like, how do you feel like the shooting? 
will translate. I mean, I know we just talked about that with Dyson, but that seems like the question for everybody in the modern NBA that we're playing. And how do you feel like that shooting will translate to the NBA level? And where do you feel his draft range is? Yeah, so in a lot of mock drafts that I've been seeing by pretty reputable places, they have them in the top 10. That's a little too sweet for my blood. I have them all only at 11, right? So I hate his guts because I have him 11. <laughs> else has him in the top 10, right? But I like him. I've liked him early on in the season, and he's fought his way up my big board. I think on my 1.0 rendition, I'm currently working on my 4.0, but on my 1, um, he he's been a first-round guy all season long. Um, he's proved it in you know mid-major to high-major play. Uh, I think the shooting will translate. We saw him as a very younger role player last season on a good Iowa team. So we've seen two iterations of him, one as a superstar in college and one as a role player in college. And the three-point shot was there and that defense is there. Um, the, the kind of swing skill for me is that the self-creation that he um, – I don't know if he'll ever be able to do that in the NBA. I don't think the handle is tight enough, and I don't think that – you know, that at his position, he's going to even be asked to do that. Right. But um, I think the shot translated. It's a it's a clean looking shot and it looks repeatable. Let's take it to New York. Let's take it to Queen St. John's Julian Champagny. I know you've done some evaluation of him and some studying of his game. Obviously, he's a bucket getter yeah. at the college level. He could shoot it. He has great positional size. But how do you feel his game will translate to the NBA level? He's really weird for me, man. Like I, I watch games where he just looks like he, you know, walks in the gym, takes his backpack off. And he's one of those guys in the corner saying, hey, you know, pass me the rock and I, I'm going to jack it up. And some games he looks good doing that. Some games he doesn't. Um, the defense is really kind of hit and miss as well. Uh, I have him as like a mid to high second round pick right now. Just and it's not because I don't like him. It's just because I like other players a little bit more. Um, I would definitely draft him um high to to mid second round range right now what's his position would you say at the nba level i think he's probably a three um he could probably give you minutes at the two or the four i mean that height and the ball handling it kind of lends him to be a little bit more versatile if he can add a little bit more strength i mean he's already a good athlete right but if he can give, be a little bit more stronger maybe like i don't know five to seven pounds of, of muscle functional muscle he might be able to give you minutes at the four in the NBA, but right now I'd probably give him minutes at the three. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Like I, I would have to look at his spot up numbers and like how he comes off the pick and roll as a ball handler for him to play the three. So it is kind of interesting how his position will be in the, like, I think that's probably the biggest question somebody or somebody like, like the reason why somebody like yourself might have him late first or early second, because it's like, what position will this guy play is the big yeah. question. Yeah, for sure. And he, he's got the height of some of the fours in the NBA, but you know that the shot profile kind of functions more to the perimeter. And I don't think defensively he's going to be able to hold up against many fours. Right. So um, I think I think the perimeter is going to be his best friend. And it really depends on the team because there, you know, the, the twos will stand still on some teams, but on some other teams, they're a second side creator. Right. So it really depends on where he goes. But I think if you're in a vacuum, I think playing it safe, the three is where I'd get him. So we talk college, we talk uh, G League Ignite. Now I want to shift to international prospects. We obviously actually talked about an international prospect and a G League Ignite prospect at the same time in Dyson Daniels. Uh, right. We had we had Keandre of Hoop Intellect talk about Jovic last episode, so we could put him aside. Outside of Jovic, what international prospects are you really looking at? Because it's a kind of like a down year, right, for when it comes to international prospects. Well, yeah, because they're all starting to come over and play college basketball now, right? So <laughs> it's it's really cool to see 
you know, Caleb Houston, people don't understand. Like he's really Canadian and, you know, he he's technically Ma- Matherin, Matherin, Matherin as yeah. well. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I like Hugo best and I've liked him all year long. I've had him in the first round a lot. Just recently, he slipped to like the very tip top of my second round just because uh, he's playing very good in New Zealand, kind of um, the inverse of what we've seen from Ushman Zhang, who was supposed to be one of these top guys. You know, Yannick Zosa was supposed to be another top international players. Those guys have disappointed. But Hugo Besson, if you watch his film in France when he played there, he looked really nice, um, much better passer in that system. In the NBL, he's asked to be a, a finisher. The Breakers aren't a talented team top to bottom. He's asked to really kind of play hero ball for that team. And that's why they're, you know, ranked last place in their in their conference right now. So I like Hugo Besson a lot. You know, Mateo Spagnolo is another guy who um, he gives people kind of like that international um, Jason, you know, Jason Williams about the white chocolate vibes, you know, with the, <laughs> the spin passes and and all that fun stuff. But um, I'm a little bit lower on him than the consensus. There's folks that like him in the second. But Hugo Besson, if you're taking away Jovich from me and, you know, guys who are in college or in the G League, Hugo Besson is one of those guys who kind of gives me like Goran Dragic vibes. Most definitely. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this draft, this rookie class, because I feel like the depth is pretty much insane. I mean, like, obviously, we have the top <laughs> yeah. we have the top guys like Barnes and Cade and Jalen Green and Giddy's playing great and Franz Wagner. But you also have guys like Herb Jones and Io. I'm probably missing a whole bunch of people. But I mean, do we do you feel like we're just going to see more and more draft classes like this and just the depth of the NBA is going to become even more incredible? Because I feel like the average player in today's NBA is like closer to the star than it's ever been. Like we teams we see teams like Memphis. Obviously, they have a generational star in job, but we also know that a lot of these role players are not as far away as the highest level players in the league. There's just more of them. The worst players in the league are, are, is better. The worst teams in the league is better. Are we just going to see more and more drafts like this and the league is just going to get more and more competitive? I don't know. We might need expansion teams eventually <laughs> with all with all this talent coming in. I would kill to see an expansion draft, right? Like Seattle needs a team. Bring back the Supersonics. Everybody, who wouldn't want to see that, right? But right. Uh, I agree with you. I think that the talent level, just the the – influx of talent we see guys who get stints in and out of the nba right like nick stauskas is just is getting another go around in the nba after killing it in the g league because the talent is so deep and if if the the bottom guy on your roster isn't cooking you know when he's in the game it's easily just to send him back to the g league and call up somebody else right but i think that this draft class is a it's not going to be as talented as the previous two but i think it's deeper than what it's given credit for I don't think that you're going to see, you know, it's not going to be super top heavy with with stars, but I think it's going to be deeper than expected with consistent role players and maybe kind of fourth, fifth starters. Once you get past like the top, I don't know, eight to ten guys, it'll be kind of like fourth and fifth starters and then drop off to consistent good role players um, pretty deep in this class, I feel like. Yeah, I, th- I feel like the stars are going to come um, next year, 2023, right? We got Wemby, we got Scoot. Who do you like in who do you like in that draft and who do you feel has a higher chance to go number one out of those two guys? I think between the two of them, uh, Scoot's probably going to be the guy that gets the most buzz because he's a domestic guy. But Victor Wembanyama with the height and the skill set, he would probably be my guy coming in the next season just because if I got two really good guys, and the other one's taller. That that might just be lazy on my part, Andrew, but I'm probably going to pick the taller guy, you know, close to seven feet tall and can create off the bounce and shoot and all and, and play great defense. 
I would take that not to knock Scoot because, you know, he's he's taken the world by storm lately. So I don't think that there's going to be a loser depending on what team gets second pick next season. And even past that, it's going to be it's going to be pretty deep just depending on who declares this season, who doesn't shade and sharp, depending on what noise he decides to make in this year's draft class. He could spice things up for next year, too. I think guys like you who are, you know, really in the NBA draft community, you often find the OKC Thunder are a really interesting team. You could correct me if I'm wrong, but oh, you know, yeah, I mean, like, you know, they got all those young guys. It's all about developing talent. You know, I don't want to talk about Chet again because I think I talked about Chet enough, but Chet would be the guy for me that I would like to see them get just like with Detroit. I might not even be as high on Jaden Ivey as others, but I feel like he'd be a great fit next to Cade in Detroit. But staying on OKC, what do you feel like they need to turn the corner and get out of tank mode? Oh, um, they're going to have to just invest in, you know, older veterans here soon, right? Like if they can land a top tier talent this year and next coupled with everybody else that's on that team, they might have to start packaging some of these draft picks and use some of that cap space to, to get guys who know how to play basketball to round out that roster because they, they got some really talented guys. Now, even, even Trey Mann, who I really liked that last year in, in that draft class, he's the, the amount of, you know, growth that he's gone through this season already has been phenomenal. But, I, you know, at some point it's cool to have all the draft picks, but you're going to have to start signing these guys to max contracts. We're seeing it with Shea Gilgis Alexander. Eventually it's going to happen with guys like Gideon. Man, at some point you're going to have to just, you know, package up some of these picks and, and get grownups in the room. But I love what they're doing because whenever I do mock drafts and stuff like that, it's fun just to be like, what are the Thunder going to do now? Right. So um, in this draft, I think that, you know, they add defense and front court depth. That's what I would do. <coughs> I think that Jalen Duran would be really fun on this team. Hmm. And just because he, one, we don't know what he looks like with an, with a really good point guard yet, but we've, he's strong. He can pass the ball. He can rebound. He can defend. I think that he'll set some nasty screens, you know, from day one in the NBA and he'll have the best, you know, playmakers that he's ever had on his team with Gideon SGA kind of setting them up. Yeah, I think I would agree with you. It makes sense for them to take a big when they already have Giddy and SGA. I also don't know, and I would like SGA and Giddy a lot if they're the greatest possible mix of two stars because mm -hmm. they're not really like either one of them is not really like an off the ball catch and shoot type of guy. And I think those both of those players would benefit from guys who are like that with them, if that makes sense. No, for sure. And I think, you know, with the amount of draft picks that they're going to have kind of late in the first, you can take a chance on a potential draft and stats guy like, a you know, um, Ishmael Kamagate is another guy who I forgot to mention, who's a really good international prospect that I like. Gabriela Prochita is another one who I really like as well. Those are good international options that you could take a risk on. And they can, Memphis can, you know, these teams that got multiple first round picks, you know, you can draft and stash a couple of these guys, or you can let them try to contribute on day one if you're Oklahoma City, because you don't really have anything to lose. So when the draft is over, what do you, when do you start with the 2023 stuff right after? How does that work? Um, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie to you, Andrew. This is my like inaugural season of just covering the draft exclusively the past two years before this, I had just a, an NBA show and, you know, the network that I was a part of, a lot of people were covering the NBA. So I was just like, how else can I kind of distinguish myself among the crowd? And I've just decided to dive into the draft. So I'm open to suggestions if you have any, but I'm probably <laughs> going to celebrate for a day and hit the ground running and catch and, you know, get up the snuff on the next draft class. 
No, from this conversation, I could tell you're doing a great job. You're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you on social media and everywhere else? Yeah. So, Andrew, thank you so much for having me on the show, man. It was a blast. You know, don't threaten me with a good time. If you ask, if you tell me I'm coming back on again, my hopes are already going to be through the roof. So <laughs> I appreciate you having me. But, you know, if folks want to follow me, they can do so um, on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. And you can follow me at Stephen. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N, the letter G and then hoops. So all that will spell out to Stephen G hoops. Um, I host an NBA draft podcast right now called draft capital. Um, you can, that's available anywhere. Podcasts are available. I've had some great guests on, you know, Matt Penny of the, the game theory podcast. I've had Chad Ford on, I've had Matt Babcock of uh, basketball news on. So, and I have guests on all the time. So, you know, it's a weekly podcast, you know, gaining a lot of steam and momentum. So if you want to listen to a great show with uh, covering a lot of prospects, you know, that's a show for you. Great stuff, Stephen. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon, man. Yeah, man. Just keep in touch. Most definitely. Thank you to everyone who tunes into Combo's Court across the globe. Big shouts to Stephen for joining in. We appreciate you. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you tune into Combo's Court. You could catch me on Twitter at Combo's Court, C-O-M-B-O-S-C-O-U-R-T. Same name as the podcast. And you know you can find me on Instagram at 12combo. That's O-N-E-P-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Be on the lookout for episode 347. Combo out.